This episode of Motley Fool Money is brought to you by Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you know that payroll and payroll taxes can be a headache. Sure Payroll has simplified payroll services with just three easy steps online. To learn more, visit surepayroll.com/fool and get a free quote. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser from Hidden Gems, Seth Jason, and from Motley Fool One, Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey. How you doing? We've got the latest on media, restaurants, gaming, and more. We will head to Detroit for the big auto show, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big banks. Earnings season officially started this week. And the big banks reporting on Friday, starting with Bank of America, fourth quarter profits up 47%, and JP Morgan Chase, their fourth quarter profits eh, half as good, up 24%. Not surprisingly, Seth Jason, both stocks up a little bit on Friday on up, those reports. Up a little bit, but not up a lot of it because they are the, the big banks are up something somewhere between like 50, 30, 20, 30, 50% since uh, early November. Not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, this this had people known this this you could have said this was why we've got you know revenues increasing pretty much JP Morgan and Bank of America have similar both very good stories net interest income up uh, other income across you know other banking like uh, wealth management all of these different things uh, trading all of that up and costs down they're not only uh, not only are they managing their own kind of costs or expenses better but they're having to set aside less money for bad loans and so of course both CEOs taking credit for excellent performance which I'm not going to take that away I'm sure they're doing a very good job on the other hand this is exactly the kind of performance you would expect to see in an environment of slightly increasing interest rates and a pretty good economy of course remember that most people, these are, you know, November results. Most people were complaining that the economy was horrible. I won't say most people. Yeah, let's call it most people. We had a whole election about it. A bunch of it. people. And I think I even said in some some uh, some fora, uh, including here, that the economy was actually pretty good. I think this is more evidence. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, Jamie Dimon's prediction holds true, which is he thinks the economy is just picking up steam. And, and I think he might be right. Yeah, I think obviously the stocks have have rallied in anticipation of perhaps lower regulation in the Trump administration yeah, and big and, tax cut. and and that would certainly help in a lot of ways. As an investor, my question is: Did are the did the stocks get ahead of themselves? Um, and for me, it's always been I've always said this: It's so hard to analyze individual banks and get a good handle on that from a valuation perspective. That the only way I know how to play them is through an ETF or some type of fund, which I have recently done. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see a pullback before we see them. You know, you, you take a breath and then you continue higher. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to understand how banks could be up thirty some percent in, in just a couple of months when, when this record, a very impressive growth, is on the order of you know six percent top line. You you can't keep getting twenty percent growth. 
uh, and earnings out of that kind of top line, probably. And of course, what Ron is talking about, the complexity of analyzing these banks, you have to giggle a little bit. I'm going to hold this paper up to the microphone for everybody to see that shows. <laughs> Everyone this on the radio is, to see. Yeah, this is the brief version of the results. And it's not only incredibly complex, but a lot of the numbers on here are really just accounting opinions. So when somebody tells you about their fortress principles and fortress balance sheet, yeah, but you know you have you also have that fall apart pretty quickly when you remember 2008. Not not suggesting anything like that is is coming, but remember a lot of earnings are just opinion. Shares of Pandora Media up on Friday after the online music service announced fourth quarter revenue will come in higher than previously expected. Pandora is also cutting seven percent of its workforce. I suppose you know these are, these are encouraging signs, but this is well, still not a profitable company, right? Right. That's why you, we focus on the revenue outperforming. Right. No one said anything about the word profits or cash profits. flow, which they do not have. Um, it's a tough business, you know. Really thin margins, and obviously a lot of competition out there. Whether you look at Spotify or Apple or Amazon, they do have, you know an enviable listener base at 80 million folks, but only 4 million of those are actually paying subscribers. Um, and that's dwarfed by someone like Spotify. So they've really had trouble um, turning a profit. They actually, more than others, have struggled with the recording industry for years over music rights. And that seems to be abating somewhat, which I guess will be good for them going forward. But I'm left to wonder, are they trying to clean up their house in order to perhaps sell. Um, there is one activist investor, Corvex Management, who has been asking the company to put themselves up for sale. SiriusXM has been bandied about as a potential suitor. So we could be seeing that here. SiriusXM's chairman said this week that they're still interested in buying Pandora Media, although he qualified it by saying, at the right price. At the right Which price I read that, I thought, well, come on, isn't everything for sale at the right of price? Of course. You know, yeah. How much for that unprofitable thing? Unfortunately for them, the stock's actually up. 28% over the last year, um, you know, from a very low base, um, but still, I, you could have gotten it 28% cheaper uh, a year ago. And I think when you look at Pandora and then you compare it to something like Apple or Amazon, I mean, the music industry in general has always been a very difficult one as far as monetization goes. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of hands in that cookie jar. So. You know, you look at Amazon or Apple. The advantage is that those businesses are far more than just the music industry, whereas Pandora really is placing all of their bets on the music industry. And we're seeing right now how difficult that is. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know that there is really the clear path forward for these guys without being acquired and becoming part of something bigger, where where they can sort of leverage that property over a a broader base right. of customers. I do want to say they. They did try to diversify a bit by uh, acquiring the ticket business yeah. and Ticketfly for four hundred million and change. Whether that's going to end up being a, a good use of capital uh, remains to be seen. I'm going to say no for now. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> given their track record, <laughs> right? AM radio. I think they should get pick up some of these AM radio stations. The listener base would go way up. Shares up this week after Chipotle announced. That the overall drop for fourth quarter same store sales was smaller than expected, uh, Jason. That seems a little bit like damning with faint praise, but you know, <laughs> given the year that Chipotle has had, I'd say you know this is welcome news. Take any good news you can get, right? But the flip side of that, I've seen some headlines that the recovery starts now, and I mean, I would hold off this notion that this turnaround is official. Um, I mean, I'm I'm happy they're headed in the direction they're headed. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a shareholder and we own shares in million dollar portfolios still, 
this is a good sign and not a bad one, but I, you know, one pre-announce doesn't seal the deal here on an actual turnaround. I mean, this is just one sign of basically what we are hoping we can see from Chipotle. Uh, essentially, the turnaround all begins with sales, right? I mean, if you're not bringing customers into the door, then none of this really matters. They're coming up on very easy comparables here in the coming quarters. And so, the pre-announce showed a very strong trend towards comps improving in in through December. And and I think it's going to be very interesting here. We know that for this quarter, comps are going to be down about 5% versus last year, where they were down close to 15%. But what's going to be really neat to see is, is in the first quarter, this current quarter that we're in now, if you look last year, those comps were down about thirty percent. So they have an even e- they have an easier hurdle to clear in this first quarter of the new year. That I think is going to be a very telltale sign because once we can see that traffic is actually coming back on a more sustainable basis, then we have to see how they're going to bring this stuff back down to the bottom line. Because the big question is, are they going to be able to maintain those those restaurant operating margins in the twenty six twenty seven percent range that they've historically been able to do? I think, at least in the near term, a lot of us are somewhat skeptical to be able to do that, just because they have to employ these new sorts of uh, standards in, in preparing the food and sourcing the food. Uh, but but it, it's still a very popular chain with a good offering and a lot of room to open new restaurants. But they also have to spend a lot more on marketing. I mean, I, I think, to, if, yeah, I think if, you're, traffic, if you're yeah, expecting yeah. profit margins to remain fat, you're you're not paying attention because they almost have no choice but to spend more on marketing. Yeah. And the, the other, I think, big question is, what is this company worth anymore? It used to be that people said, and I hope I wasn't one of them, I've, I've been a fan of the, the chain on the stock, have made a lot of money, lost a lot of paper money. But... Um, Everyone said, oh, well, they're going to do this. They could take the Chipotle model anywhere. They're like a fast food platform, a better eating fast food platform. They're going to do this Asian thing, and they're going to do this pizza thing. Well, the Asian thing fell through. They're way behind the pizza, the fast uh, Burgers are coming, pizza. don't worry. Burgers <laughs> yeah. are coming, and we have so many premium burgers. Now, they're, uh, the sad thing is, and as a shareholder pains me to say, they are a one-trick pony. So what are they really worth? You know, my family cut back on our Chipotle consumption, not because we're really afraid of getting sick, but just something, you know, in your mind, you, the, the bloom comes off the rose a bit. Yeah. And New Year's Day, my son says, you know, let's get Chipotle for the first, you know, come on, let's do it. And I was like, all right, fine, get in the car, go. It's closed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Your location is closed. But I think a good, it's a good point to sort of look. I mean, where can they go beyond just the Chipotle namesake? And I mean, we've, we've looked at it. In anything in the burger realm or the pizza realm, that's just icing on the cake. You can't really assume any of that's going to happen. I mean, the burger joint's a, a one-off. The pizza thing is really just being tested. We obviously know what happened to Shop House. So, yeah, I think if you're an investor and you are looking at this beyond just the namesake stores, you're probably thinking a little bit too far ahead. The Wall Street Journal reporting this week that Apple is planning a major push into original TV programming. The shows will be available to subscribers of Apple's streaming music service, which is available for $10 a month. Uh, Ron, we we figured this day would come. Right. It's not a surprise. Um, TV, I think, will be first. Movies, I think, remains to be seen. Um, It's interesting, though. Is is this 
a move to go after Spotify and get Apple Music more subscribers yes. and therefore more recurring <laughs> revenue. Well, yes. yes, okay. Or do they take it even further and go after Netflix? And that would be kind of a whole other thing, which would co- require significantly more capital, which they have, by the way, if they choose to do that. I think that remains to be seen. But I do like the fact, as you stated, that it is part of the Apple Music subscription. I think I pay more than that because I have a family subscription. Maybe it's 15 a month. Um, um, whether that's a good value or not, we're constantly questioning as a family, to be honest. It depends how much you how much you use it. But I do like the fact that this will increase the value proposition of Apple Music and, and make that $10 even even better value. Yeah, it's it's an interesting play. Netflix, I was always skeptical on their their programming, their their original programming, because it just seemed like what all those all that money and all those people and all that experience in Hollywood, they don't know what they're doing. Well, if you watch some of the Netflix or the Amazon stuff, you realize they kind of didn't. They the, the the really good stuff that's on Netflix and on Amazon exists because the the folks are bringing projects there that just were laughed out of the room by the networks and so the networks give you this, give us a lot of formulaic junk and over at Netflix and on Amazon you get some really interesting uh, more cutting edge and funny stuff so uh, I mean there's opportunities there but the thing with with Amazon or Netflix is they already have a huge user base so this is just kind of something that keeps you in there whereas you know somebody like me who doesn't have Apple hardware and I think tons of people have Apple hardware but they're not a part of the music service, they're not really going to get this bonus. Right. So, well, and Ron, you mentioned how much money Apple has on hand. They can throw a lot of cash at showrunners to bring in new programming, but what they don't have right now is any kind of bench. If you look at Netflix and Amazon, they have a lot of original programming already in the can, which means, among other things, that they can afford a couple of misses here or there. If if anything, I feel like Apple really needs, for this to move the needle in terms of revenue for Apple, they need to have hits right out of the gate. Perhaps you're not remembering that they have carpool karaoke, <laughs> which they actually do, and they're actually doing a documentary about Dr. Dre. But, you know, baby steps, and this is just where they start. I certainly hope we'll see them outsourcing from, you know, outside production studios rather than building an internal studio, which didn't Microsoft try to do that at one point or, or one, of the, one of the guys? I hope we don't see that. Coming up, we'll dip into the full mailbag. Stare it here. You're listening to Motley Full Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Seth Jason, and Ron Gross. Our email address is radio at fool.com from Levi Waddell in South Dakota. I'm looking to invest in other countries to diversify a bit. Anybody have thoughts on the best way to do that? What do you think, Seth? Take all your money and look for the most amazing China story you can find, right? <laughs> is that the right answer? No. Uh, and then do the opposite. He was kidding. Do the opposite. What a lot of us do here is we rely on fund managers who have uh, experience and staff on the ground in foreign countries who, who look for the good investment opportunities, including many that you would never find because, because the markets are just tougher to get to. So the place to start is with something like a Dodge and Cox International Fund, for sure. If you're interested in going in uh, individual equities, I think the, the place that 
what to do then is to start look at what the holdings are of some of these international funds, start doing some reading on some of the individual companies and get interested in the whole subject that way before you start, say, opening up a brokerage account, a global brokerage account, and buying individual equities. And you can also just go global. You can buy multinational companies that do business overseas there. Yeah. And so don't don't focus on where they're domiciled, but but where their revenue and their profits come from. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I think that it's as easy or as difficult as you want to make it in today's world. So many of these businesses that we're investing in now are truly global stories in every sense of the word. And so those are nice sort of low risk ways. Uh, Starbucks, for example, I mean, just tremendous opportunity still in China. And I think it's going to be a much more attractive risk profile than investing in something like perhaps Alibaba or even Baidu. This week, Mars announced it is buying VCA, the veterinary supply company, in a deal worth just over $9 billion. Are there synergies here, Jason? We have a candy conglomerate that's loading up on veterinary supplies? Well, they do have a an animal uh, dynamic to the business, apparently. That's what you get with private companies, is you don't get to uh, see on a daily basis everything that they're doing because they're private. But I do like this move by Mars. I think uh, pets can make for great investment opportunities, and they've essentially let VCA do the heavy lifting here in building out this big network of hospitals. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 700 now around uh, around the U.S. and and now I mean, you know as well as I do. I mean, anybody here who has pets, I mean, you pretty much are going to do whatever you need to do for your pet. And the nice part about that business, it's a fairly uh, transparent business in, in the sense of where the cash is going. You're not dealing with insurance claims, perhaps like uh, like you might with with our healthcare system. For oh, example. but that's so, coming up. <laughs> well, and there are you can certainly direction. take those insurance policies out there. Uh, I I think the overwhelming majority of people today do not. Um, and again, I think uh, when you talk about the market opportunity and how many people just domestically here have pets, I mean, there's 65 percent of U.S. households have at least one pet. Uh, many with dogs, many with cats. Um, and, and it's interesting to see how so many of these opportunities are going private. I mean, PetSmart went private not too terribly long ago. There was a company, MWI Veterinary Supply, that I followed that was more on the vaccine side. They went private recently. Uh, still some opportunities for investors uh, in Zoetis, I think, which was recently spun off from Pfizer. That's more on the medicine and vaccine sides. But I think that the pet and the uh, you know the livestock sort of animal market is pretty reliable in, in whatever market conditions. I think this is a pretty neat uh, move on Mars's part. Stunning news from the world of board games. Hasbro, owner of the classic game Monopoly, has decided to replace all of the classic tokens and open up a poll to choose the new ones. What is being dubbed the Monopoly Token Madness Vote lets fans choose eight tokens out of a field of 64. This is taking place online at votemonopoly.com. You can still vote for the classic, Seth, like the top hat, the race car, the, it's the wheelbarrow. But the new ones include mm-hmm. flip-flops, several different emojis, a penguin, a T-Rex, and a loaf of bread. <laughs> I think it's important that uh, the, the traditional uh, the traditionalists among us really start building bots to, to vote heavily for the old lame pieces, because there's a button there to click to vote again. So you can vote as many times as you want. So uh, you know, 4chan, Reddit. Hopefully, they don't hear about this and ruin it for <laughs> the rest of us. If you vote more than once, you have too much time on your hands. <laughs> no, that's why you build the bot. See, <laughs> you build the bot. I say vote uh, loaf of bread. Uh, I like surfboard. There's bathtub is pretty good. Flip flops. Flip flop. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Steve Broido. Steve, you, uh, you got anyone you're looking to vote for? I think I want to. I want the shoe back. 
Can we can, can we hold on to the shoe? I, no, I, no, you're you're not. That's a horrible choice. Really? See, there is a total. There is there is so much opportunity here, particularly when you consider the nature of Monopoly, the game. I mean, there should be strategic relationships with Amazon and Starbucks here. I want to see an Echo piece. I want to see a Starbucks cup. <laughs> I mean, let's thinking? start monetizing this. Uh, game Mr. Monopoly, life. aka Rich Uncle Pennybags, has got to be in there. <laughs> Is that his name, Rich Uncle Pennybags? Bad it is. All right, guys, we'll see you later in the show. Up next, we are heading to the Motor City to check in on the auto industry. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. All right, before we get to our interview this week, quick word about Sure Payroll, because if you're a small business owner, you know that payroll can be a headache. Small businesses pay hefty fines on a yearly basis due to payroll oversights, and now you can protect your business and remove the payroll tax complications with Sure Payroll. But here's the thing, you don't even need to be a small business owner. You can be just like a regular person who's dealing with payroll like uh, like Steve Broido. Steve, you're a Sure Payroll customer. I am indeed. You're a happy customer, yes? Yeah, it's great. Love the service. Three easy steps, and you can do this on any device. One, you enter your employees' hours and salaries. Two, you preview the taxes being deducted. And three, you approve the payroll, and that's it. You're done. Is it that easy? It is. You can do it from your cell phone. It's terrific. Sure Payroll will automatically file and pay your federal, state, and local taxes. They make it easy and affordable to manage your small business payroll online, so you can focus on your business instead of worrying about late fees and fines. And that that's what your customers want you to do. They want you focused on the business. Speaking of customers, Sure Payroll's customers include a range of business types, such as dental offices, insurance agents, barbershops, restaurants, charitable foundations, and the aforementioned Steve Broido. Sure Payroll also has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. So Just go to surepayroll.com slash fool. Fill out a free quote form today. That's surepayroll.com slash fool. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. The North American International Auto Show kicked off this week in Detroit, with nearly one million people expected to attend. Paul Leinert has spent his career covering the automotive industry, most recently with Thomson Reuters, and he joins me now from the Motor City. Paul, always good to talk to you. Same here, Chris. Good to be back. What is your headline for this year's show? The headline for this year's show probably look out for Donald Trump, the backseat driver-in-chief. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm only partly teasing. I mean, he, he, the man's name was the buzz across the show floor all week. If you're asking me about vehicles, I would say the story this year is SUVs. So the low price of gas continues to be a boon for anyone who is producing trucks and minivans. You know, that seems to be the the hot sellers in the past year. They've been rising every year for the last several years, and I think they're going to rise again in 2017, uh, barring a huge spike in fuel prices. But, you know, that's where the car companies are putting their money right now, because that's what people are buying. Well, I, I want to get to what the automakers are doing, but since you brought up the president-elect, um, he had a press conference on Wednesday. He's been very outspoken about the need for automakers to build plants in the U.S. and not take those jobs overseas. Uh, and in the press conference, he went out of his way to praise Ford and Fiat Chrysler. And the people that you talk to, both at the show and just sort of in your day-to-day business life, is there is there a consensus on what a President Trump is going to mean for business? 
there is, I'm sorry for laughing, there is no consensus whatsoever. I would say there is concern because the message has been mixed. Uh, I think the dialogue has already begun, certainly between Detroit and the president-elect, and that dialogue includes, um, are you willing to do some negotiation, perhaps over easing up future emissions and fuel economy standards, and in return, we'll put more effort and investment, perhaps, into safety, including self-driving cars. Let me get to something you had written earlier in the week about Google, which, and it it still seems a little odd to be talking about Google in relationship to automotive uh, automakers. But Google is working with Chrysler on an improved self-driving system. That in and of itself is not all that surprising to me. What is surprising? And this is what you wrote, Paul, is that we're talking about the Chrysler Pacifica, which the last time I checked is a minivan. (laughs) As someone who owns a minivan, really? That's where we're going with self-driving cars? We're going right to the minivans? I can just like hop in the back seat and watch a movie with my kids while the the car's doing the driving? Can't you just visualize that? The kids yelling and screaming and nobody up front to control them? No. (laughs) Um, this was Google has been shopping for a partner for at least the last year or two, partner or partners. They've had some interest from Honda, but Chrysler was the first one who stepped up and said, yes, we'll sell you a batch of vehicles and we'll work with your engineers and technicians to convert them to self-driving. So this is still in the early stages. I think it's probably more of a Google project than it is a Chrysler project. But why not? Uh, I think one of the things that made the Pacifica attractive for, for Google was the fact that it comes in a hybrid gasoline electric version, which really appealed to Google. So we'll see where they go from here. You know, they've been driving around those cute little bubble cars, those Google bubble cars out in California. I think Google likes to call them the fireflies. And uh, at some point, I think everybody figured they would move into a real live vehicle to adapt their their new self-driving system. So they're building a lot of their hardware now themselves, or at least working with suppliers to do the hardware rather than buying off-the-shelf parts. Interesting development. Well, and that ties into uh, something I wanted to get your thoughts on, which is we're starting to see two approaches to the self-driving car. And one is companies like Tesla Motors, GM, Ford, who are working on developing their own proprietary systems. And then you see another group that is automakers teaming up with suppliers like NVIDIA, Delphi Automotive, Mobileye, etc. Is is one approach gaining more traction than the other? And related and related to that is is there one that you and the people you talk to think is going to be has a greater chance of being successful? I would say yes. One approach is beginning to gain more traction, and that is the shared or partnering approach. Before the Detroit Auto Show, I was in Las Vegas at this big CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. And if Detroit's the show about what's happening today, CES is the show about what's going to happen in the future. Lots of suppliers, car companies, lots of talk from executives and uh, high-level high managers about developments in self-driving. 
that's where we began to hear lots of buzz about all the alliances that are forming right now between automakers and suppliers, suppliers and startups. So I, I, I think that probably is going to get more and more popular. GM says it still wants to do its own work in self-driving. Ford says the same thing. Tesla says the same thing. A few other big car companies have the resources to do that. Most would prefer to share the energy, the resources, the investment. So that probably seems like a smart way to go, and I think it's going to speed up development. One of our analysts, uh, David Kretzman, was out in Las Vegas last week at CES. One of the things that he and I talked about was um, David's uh, comment that uh, this is the year of, of what he referred to as Real, the realistic self-driving car, sort of the you know, it's it's not kicking back in the back seat, but it is sort of the the uh, AI-assisted driving. Do you have a sense of when we're going to see a mainstream adoption of these types of cars? It, let let me break that into two pieces, Chris, and and address that. We're already seeing driver-assist systems, semi-automated systems, everything from adaptive cruise control, which has been around now for, oh gosh, almost 10 years, to lane-keeping assist and collision warning and things like that. Automatic emergency braking is coming on really quickly. You're going to see a wide adoption of that in the next year or so. Now, the government breaks these into categories, level one all the way up to level five, with level five being a car that needs no steering wheel, no brakes, no, no pedals of any kind. It can drive itself anywhere. That is a long way off. What we're starting to see right now is some really sophisticated driver assist systems, things like traffic jam assist. General Motors has one coming out in Cadillac this year called Super Cruise. These are what are called level three systems, not quite fully self-driving, but getting pretty close. Tesla says it it wants to offer a level four system probably before anybody else. I'm not sure exactly when that will be ready, but a level four system is a vehicle that can drive itself in really specific situations and areas. For instance, in a specific areas of big cities like New York City. Ford, GM, and others, BMW, aren't going to have level four vehicles in production uh, and on the road until 2021 probably. A lot of the big CEOs are in Detroit for the auto show. One that is not is Volkswagen's CEO. Uh, The company said a week ago that he was not going to be coming to Detroit. Uh, And in between that announcement and this conversation that you and I are having right now, uh, one of the U.S. executives for Volkswagen has been arrested by the FBI and charged with a little something we like to call conspiracy to commit fraud. Is there any talk at the auto show of the state of Volkswagen in the wake of the emissions scandal that they went through and the extent to which there will be any lasting brand damage to that company? Let me answer your questions in reverse order. I think it remains to be seen what sort of brand damage, what sort of lasting brand damage uh, Volkswagen will sustain. The talks, the settlement talks with government agencies from the EPA to the Department of Justice have been going on for a while. VW has been gradually settling some of the charges uh, in this case. 
And just this week reached a big, a huge settlement with the Department of Justice. So I think Volkswagen is trying to do what it can do to settle the charges, get this behind it as quickly as possible. Its top U.S. executive this week said, we're probably not going to be bringing diesels to the U.S. anymore. And I think they're probably going to de-emphasize them in Europe. What was one of the surprises of the auto show was also one of the coolest concept cars at the show, something called the uh, the ID Blitz. And what it was was a recreation of the Volkswagen microbus from our childhood. Really? Powered by, bat- powered by batteries. I sure hope they build it. It looks, it looks way cool. Not a diesel in sight anywhere on their stand. Any chance they're going to roll out like a Scooby-Doo mystery machine version of that vehicle? <laughs> I can't tell you about that, but I did see a big uh, full-size concept car from the new Pixar, the latest version of Cars, the movie. They had one on the floor at Detroit. You had mentioned trucks and SUVs uh, earlier. When it comes to that part of the industry, where is the competition between Ford and GM right now? It's really interesting. You know, Ford spent billions of dollars to redesign its full-size pickup trucks about two years ago. And at the show this week, it's showing the, the facelifted 2018 F-150. It's still a hot seller. Uh, General Motors, in the meantime, is still, I think, a year, year and a half away from a full ground-up redesign of its big pickup trucks, the Chevy Silverado and the GMC Sierra. But these trucks still have great features, great value, probably not as much advanced technology as the Ford pickup trucks. But those two are selling well and particularly because GM can price them very attractively. So the pickup wars go on unabated, and they're still neck and neck with those. The wrinkle that GM introduced a couple years ago was the midsize, the new midsize Chevy Colorado and GMC Canyon, and that's really enhanced their, their dealers' portfolios, I would say. All right, before we wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold, uh, just like at CES, where you've got all these gadgets, some of which may seem a little absurd, some of which seem like, as you said, a real glimpse into tomorrow. With all you've seen at the auto show this year, what is a feature on a vehicle that you've seen that you've thought, you know what, I want that in the next vehicle that I buy? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to hedge and say I'm not sure if I want it or not, but Ford is starting to introduce Amazon's Alexa voice assistant in vehicles where you push a button, you can speak to your car, and your car talks back, and it does all kinds of cool stuff. You can, from your car, ask Alexa to turn on your air conditioning or your heat at home or open your garage door or turn on the outdoor light. So that sounds like a really cool development. It just, I don't know why I'm nervous about it. I think it may be because um, if you study Amazon at all, there's there's probably a really easy way for you to buy stuff while you're driving your car. <laughs> I'm sure that's the next step. All right, let's wrap up with buy, sell, or hold, and we'll start with a private company that has a huge valuation. Buy, sell, or hold Uber. Whoo, hold. Why is that? Uh, they're spending money furiously. They're the kingpin right now, but it, 
I haven't seen them make a convincing business case yet. We'll see. They're, I think they're going to wind up being the Amazon of the transportation business. So, But until we see a little bit more uh, in, in terms of return on investment, I'd say hold. This company has a deal with major automakers, but as you just alluded to, it also faces increased competition. Buy, sell, or hold SiriusXM satellite radio as a feature on new models. So far, they're the only game in town, or pretty much the only game in town. Uh, I'd say hold. This will get you a huge fine in Canada. Buy, sell, or hold a U.S. ban on texting while driving. <laughs> I would sell. Wow. You don't think we're going to look for a way to make money the way they do up in Canada? Do you know what? You know what it's going to go to? It's going to go to all voice texting, so you don't have to take your eyes off the road. And finally, my producer, Matt Greer, hates the slider bar technology that's used for things like volume control in newer model cars. So buy, sell, or hold knobs. Buy, but I'm an old dog. I totally agree with Mac. I hate, hate, hate those slider bars. You have to take your eyes off the road, or you, you know... They just don't work really well. Paul Leiner covers the auto industry for Thomson Reuters. You can read his stuff online. You can follow him on Twitter. Paul, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks. A pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Coming up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. I feel so good, <laughs> come payday. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Seth Jason, and Ron Gross. You can check out past episodes of Motley Fool Money and all of our podcasts. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Click the subscribe button. Take the Motley Fool podcast with you wherever you go, on demand, all the time. Please. Please. Just <laughs> click the subscribe button. It takes three seconds. Uh, we're going to bring in our man, Steve Roto, in from the other side of the glass uh, for radar stocks, but also on the other side of the glass this week, longtime listener Brian Reiki visiting us. Right, yeah, Woo! Man, uh, before, and he and his fiance moved down to Florida. Uh, his fiance is a baker, and she <laughs> he brought some delightful treats. Oh, awesome. so, so let's wrap up the show so nice. we can get to that. All right, Ron Gross, you're up first. Uh, Steve will hit you with a question. What's on your radar this week? I like our Income Investor Services latest pick, Crown Castle International, CCI. They own and operate cell phone towers. They charge customers like Verizon and AT&T monthly rent for access to that infrastructure. Um, it's actually a REIT, a real estate investment trust, which means they have to pay out 90% of their profits as a dividend. So we have a 4.4% yield. Upside potential of 28% to the stock, according to our folks over at Income Investor. Steve, question about Crown Castle? Doesn't everyone sort of do that? I mean, Americans are <laughs> in that space. It seems like everyone's in the no, space of I, leasing out 
cell phone towers. <laughs> there, there are the a water few, towers it, in it, my neighborhood. It's very, very asset um, heavy, so it's it's hard for people to break into it, which is one of the competitive advantages. But you do have folks like American Tower and SBA Communications in the space. No way, I'm, I'm taking them out with. I'm going to have you put a, t- a tower on every house, and everybody can rent one. <laughs> Seth, Jason, what are you looking at? You know, I was looking through my uh, crummy performing stocks toward the end of the year, and I see poor Under Armour sitting down there, and their sales are still doing very well. The The reason they're down is they went ahead and told the market, we're going to put the, the, the pedal to the metal and spend more on marketing and penetration and getting market share, especially overseas. And this was a couple months ago, and Wall Street didn't like hearing that. They want profits now, dang it, now. And I think uh, that gives you an opportunity to pick this one up if you have not yet. And the ticker? Is UA. UA. They, they've changed things around recently. We'll call yeah, it the UA. C, the C shares are the, the UA. C shares are now UA. It's yeah. hard to argue against And those. the C shares were, were at a discount to the other ones. So, so look carefully. Steve, question about Under Armour? Did the shoe thing ever really work out for them? <laughs> yeah. fixated on shoes. Yeah, actually, they, they worked out very well. I mean, they sell uh, football cleats, basketball cleats. The running shoes they've even picked up, even though I never see them at a race. But they sell plenty of them. Jason Moser, we've got a minute left. What are you looking at? Sure. Speaking of pets, I'm taking a look at IDEX Laboratories, ticker IDXX. This is uh, similar to that company I mentioned earlier in MWI Veterinary Supply. These guys supply the diagnostic products and consumables that come with them. So, a nice sort of razor and blade model there, focusing on the companion and livestock markets. And again, these are really reliable businesses that just consistently perform. So, uh, yep, looking at bringing this one over to the watch list on MDP and digging in a little deeper. Steve? What's the largest vet bill you've ever received? <laughs> oh, man, now you're going to take me back to a disappointing time a couple of years ago. It was about $1,000 when we unfortunately had our dog who was sick and never recovered. Way to bring the oh. show down, Steve. Yeah. Steve, three stocks. You got one you want to add to your watch list? I'd like to get away from that last topic, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll go with the tower one, Ron. Crown Castle. <laughs> All right, Ron. The one you didn't like. <laughs> Ron Gross, Seth Jason, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt. Career. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.